If you would, remain standing for the reading of God's holy word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. If you're using a pew Bible, you can find this on page 807. And just by way of reminder, we stand for God's holy word because we have reverence for what the Lord has said. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please be seated. So last week we began our study of the promise of Christmas. We took Genesis 1, and we were reminded that in the beginning there was only God. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. He spoke all things into existence by the word of his mouth. Creato ex nihilio. God created out of nothing. All things were made by God and all things were made for God. And all that he made was very good, but creation did not stay good. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were special out of all of creation, made to display the character of God, made to know God intimately. We even find in the beginning chapters of the Bible that Adam and Eve, they knew the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Adam and Eve were in every sense of the words, set for life. They had perfect communion with the Lord Adam was to work and keep the perfect garden. But in the garden, there was one tree in which Adam and Eve were not to eat. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we find, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So Satan tempts. Did God actually say... Satan lies. You will not surely die. You will be like God. So the serpent, the dragon, the father of lies focused upon what was prohibited of Adam and Eve, ignoring God's perfect provision. Satan wanted Adam and Eve to follow in his footsteps. 
Satan knew the perfect provision of heaven with God, but he saw a problem. Satan was not God, and he wanted to be God. Eve believed Satan and not God. She took and ate. Adam listened to Eve instead of listening to the Lord. He ate. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. All that was perfect was lost. Their perfect relationship with God, the perfect garden, they were no longer allowed to stay there. Physical and spiritual birth entered the world. Hearts of stone entered the world, and the perfect worship of the Lord on earth was no more. All that was perfect was lost, but the Lord was not silent. He shows up in the garden, and he calls out to Adam. Adam, Eve, and Satan are all cursed But a promise was given in Genesis 3, verse 15. A promise of the Messiah, a Savior would come. The first gospel, proto-evangelion. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan was cast out of heaven. Satan was cast to the dust of the ground. Christ would suffer, but Satan would be defeated forever. Sin entered the world, death entered the world, total depravity entered humanity, and our merciful God chose to give us a promise, and that promise was a promise of hope fulfilled in Jesus Christ. After the fall of humanity, you have many more major events. Here are a few that are worth mentioning. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden at the end of Genesis chapter 3. God was gracious in the fact that he did not allow them to enter and to eat of a tree in which they would live forever. From Adam and Eve came Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. From Adam and Eve came many more children, generation after generation, and we can follow this line to Noah. If you look in Genesis chapter 6, Beginning in verse 5, we find this. Yahweh saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Yahweh was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So Yahweh said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Yahweh. So the worldwide flood comes, the flood subsides, God makes a covenant with Noah. You have the Tower of Babel where they desired to make a name for themselves and not for the Lord. And the Lord confused the language over all the earth and dispersed them over all the earth. And in Genesis chapter 12, Abram is called. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kin, and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Remember this promise. We will see this again. In Genesis 22, we find that God tested Abram, now Abraham. I want you to turn there with me, and let's read Genesis chapter 22 together. In Genesis chapter 22, we find some special words that we see a picture fulfilled in the New Testament 
which is extremely important for us to know. Beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. If you're Abraham, you have a lot going through your mind at this time. You have waited and waited and waited. God has made a promise. God is saying this promise will come. He has finally got his only son. Now I want you to go offer your son as a sacrifice. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of the young men with him and his own son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. Isaac his son had seen his father worship many times. And Isaac noticed something. Verse 7, Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name that place, Yahweh will provide. And it is said to this day on the mount that Yahweh, it shall be provided. And the angel of Yahweh called to Abraham a second time from heaven. And he said, by myself I have sworn, declares Yahweh, because you have done this, have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will Surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. So the Yahweh provided the sacrifice. He did not require... Abraham's only son, Isaac, but from this line would come the one who would be the forever atoning sacrifice for sin. 
We fast forward a few years to Exodus chapter 12. We have the Passover. They were to kill a lamb without blemish. And its blood was to be spread on the doorposts and the lintel or the support beam of the house. The blood of this spotless lamb was a substitute. If obedience occurred, Yahweh would pass over the house and the firstborn would not die. However, if there was no blood on the house, the destroyer would kill the firstborn of that house. This Passover is a picture, a shadow of what was to come. The spotless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. The penal substitutionary atonement for sin. The penalty that is due to us for our transgression, our sin, is paid by a substitute, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The sin and guilt that was laid upon Christ on the cross, he fully drank the cup of God's wrath. He took our place, the spotless lamb, in our place. He paid the full price once and for all what you and I could not pay and atone for all whom the Father would draw to himself, for all who trust in Christ for their salvation, for all who would be born again. This is what we celebrate. Many celebrate this time of year, and they celebrate the fact that a baby has come. It was much more than a baby. Fully God and fully man. He fully lived a perfect life. We celebrate the life of Christ. We celebrate everything that he did, everything that he said was perfect. We celebrate the death burial, and resurrection of Christ. And if you look at Isaiah 53, this is the final shadow we will look at this morning. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of Yahweh been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. No beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes... We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and Yahweh has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of Yahweh to crush him. He has put him to grief 
when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offering, he shall prolong his days, and the will of Yahweh shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear the iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So the promise of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, would come to the earth as a baby and grow up. He would have no beauty that man should desire him. He would be despised and rejected by men. He would be wounded and crushed. He would be the promised peace. Our transgressions and iniquity would be laid upon him. He would be oppressed and afflicted like a lamb at a slaughter. I go back to the picture of Abraham taking his son, saying we are going over here to worship. And the son looks at his father. Father, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham's pondering in his mind. The Lord said, You're the sacrifice. But the Lord doesn't allow him to touch his son. Provides a ram in the thicket, a sacrifice for the time of worship. That is what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that the Lord provided a Savior, a lamb at a slaughter. He opened not his mouth. There was no sin in him. There was nothing that he ever did that was wrong. The sinless Savior came to die. The promise of hope would die. And all of this would be Yahweh's will. It pleased Yahweh to crush his son. That this sacrifice would make many righteous. And this final shadow brings us to Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. Yeah, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. From the deportation of Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. So Matthew 1, verses 1 through 6, we find the genealogy which begins with Abraham and ends with the birth of Jesus Christ. Christ, or Christos, is a title and means anointed. This is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word Messiah. In other words, Jesus, Jesus the anointed one, or Jesus the promised Messiah has come. Now Matthew calls Jesus the son of David in Matthew 1 verse 1, and he uses this title more than any other writer for a reason. He was writing to the Jews to inform them that Jesus came from the seed of David, the greatest king in the Old Testament. So these verses inform us that God came from heaven, born of a virgin, that God puts on flesh, fully man and fully God, is the person of Jesus Christ. 
That is extremely important because you have many conversations with many people over the span of the multitude of religions. People will say they believe in Jesus. They don't give you the details of what they believe about Jesus. That Jesus is fully man, that Jesus is fully God, that Jesus Christ fully atones for the sin of those whom God the Father draws to Christ. So God puts on flesh. Matthew is writing to this Jewish audience to instruct them of the truth that the promised Messiah has come from earth, from heaven to earth, that this has been fulfilled, and the promise of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And you have this span from Abraham to David, 14 generations. From David to the deportation to Babylon was 14 generations. From the deportation to Babylon to Christ was 14 generations. So the gap for the last from the Old Testament to the New Testament is approximately 450 years. But from Genesis chapter 3 to the coming of Christ, you're talking about a span of 4,000 years. And all of history, God has a purpose. As R.C. Sproul said, right now counts forever. All the Lord has done, is doing, all that the Lord will do, His divine eternal purposes. When we believe this truth and rest our mind and heart in this truth, our life in the here and now is forever changed. You're like, why? Because we trust the Lord. Trusting the Lord is not just a slogan that we see on shirts and bumper stickers and we say, oh, we just need to trust the Lord during these hard times. We trust all that Yahweh is doing in the here and the now, all that he has done in the past, all that he is doing in the present, all that he is doing in the future, because right now counts forever. There is nothing that Yahweh is not working out for his good and for the glory and the good of his children. Our life right now counts forever. We trust them for all that he is doing. We seek to know him and believe in his every promise from his holy word. And we faithfully strive to serve him, no matter our present circumstances. And that's easier said than done. You see, when we are seeking Yahweh, when we trust Yahweh, our hearts find comfort and rest. For we are delivered from worldly passions and cares that stir discontentment in our life. In all of history, God has a purpose. So when we find genealogies in Scripture, they are important. And Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is slightly different than that of Luke's. Some scholars agree that Matthew focuses on the genealogy of Joseph, or Luke focuses on the genealogy of Mary, but more than likely, this is incorrect. Matthew's list is of the legal descendants of David, while Luke gives the descendants of David in the line to which Joseph belonged. The point is this. In Matthew, we find how the Messiah came to be. And for the Jews, this was highly important for them. With 400 to 450 years of silence, the silence was now broken with the coming of Christ. If you look back at verse 18, the word for birth that Matthew used is not the typical word that's used. He is literally saying, this is the origin of Jesus Christ that took place this way. Matthew was emphasizing the supernatural importance of the moment that he was recording. 
that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, and before they were married, Mary was found to be with child. This is no small detail. Being betrothed was way more than just being engaged that we see in modern day. Today, many people get engaged, and they break up before they get married. If a man or woman was betrothed, it was considered an unbreakable pledge that usually lasted one year. This time period carried the same weight as marriage and required a form of divorce if it was going to end. In the Jewish society, if a woman was found to be pregnant before, the result could have been as extreme as her execution. Now, as professing Christians who have the law of God written on our hearts as well as God breathes out word in our hand, we need to model the taking of marriage extremely seriously. For it is a covenant that we enter into with the Lord. We don't write the covenant. The Lord has written it. And if this life is all about the Lord, our marriage is all about the Lord. Now, Joseph was a just or righteous man, a man who was careful in his observance of the law. And when he found out that Mary was pregnant, he did not want any shame to come upon her. He loved her, and he was resolved, meaning he had purpose in his heart to divorce her quietly without spectacle or humiliation of her family. Verse 20 informs us that as he was considering the details of the situation, he had a dream. And in this dream, an angel of the Lord appeared to him and spoke to him. These are the words that he heard. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph, a just man, wakes up from his dream and he obeys the Lord. God doesn't speak to us through dreams or other ways as he did with others long ago. He uses others in divine circumstances, absolutely, but God has spoken through his word. You heard John read Hebrews chapter 1 earlier. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, the days in which we are in now, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So Joseph, a just man, he wakes up from his dream and obeys the Lord. Joseph takes Mary as his wife and the child as his own. Just imagine what Joseph was going through at this point in time. Joseph not only knew this, I'm sure those close to Joseph knew what was going on. Joseph, you can't do this. Joseph, you're not supposed to take her. Do not take her. She has been un. Faithful, but Joseph listens to the word of the Lord. That which Joseph did here is to be our journey. We are to obey the Lord. This child was a miracle. His conception was supernatural for two reasons. Number one, the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. A child was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The father of this child was not a man. This child was conceived by God the Holy Spirit. So God the Holy Spirit formed this child in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And number two, this child was born of the Virgin Mary. Mary had never been with a man, and yet she was pregnant. She was a virgin 
who had promised herself to Joseph, and she was faithful to Joseph. Luke 1, verse 37 reminds us that nothing will be impossible with God. This child, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, was God's doing. So Joseph takes Mary as his wife and the child as his own. Do you see the beautiful picture of adoption here? Joseph took Mary. Joseph took the son as his own. And Joseph submitted himself to divine authority and named the son Jesus. The name picked for the child by God. And even though Joseph took the child, the son as his own, it was not his natural son. This son belonged to the Lord. If you're a spiritually mature parent in this room, you understand that your children are not yours. They belong to the Lord, but you have a responsibility in training them up in the ways of the Lord. And no matter the valleys that you tread as a parent, you are to teach them and train them and point them to the Lord. But this child, this child was different. For he was conceived by God the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. And the Lord even named him. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the meaning behind the name Jesus is Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. This child conceived by the Holy Spirit, this child born of a virgin, this son named Jesus is the promised Messiah, the promise from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This baby is the Savior of the world. The promise of hope thousands of years before, has now arrived. Matthew 1 is the telling of the greatest historical birth in history. Matthew 1 is the coming of God to earth to save sinners. That is how heinous our sin is. God had to provide himself as the payment. And this hope, this promise of hope arrives. And this doesn't seem right, does it? That the greatest promise in all the world comes like this. The Savior comes as a baby. The Savior comes to Mary and Joseph. Shouldn't the Savior arrive like a king? Shouldn't the Savior be wealthy? Luke the physician gives us great details into the humble birth in this tiny town of Bethlehem. But all this took place, verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And they called his name Jesus. So Messiah came this way. Why? To fulfill Scripture. To fulfill what was spoken by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. So the virgin birth is important because it was promised by the Lord in the Old Testament. If you do an in-depth study of Matthew, he quotes the Old Testament more than 60 times. 60 times he points to the undeniable truth that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. And the term Emmanuel here describes what Christ did. The incarnation 
God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. God with humanity. God with us is a comfort, is it not? This was wonderful for the many souls who were around Jesus as he lived on this earth. The many crowds that would flock to him, that would want things from him. They wouldn't want him. They wanted things from him. And now because of the work of Christ, it is no longer God with us, but God the Holy Spirit in us. God who came from heaven to earth actually said, it is better that I leave you so that the Holy Spirit can come. So Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, God with us, and this child was named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this supernatural conception is the birth of the promise given in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. These verses in Genesis and in Matthew are written with full confidence and assurance. These verses are promises from God. The Lord declared in Genesis 3, He shall bruise your head. And then in Matthew 1, we find He will save His people from their sins. I want to close our time by looking at verse 21. It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The Messiah did not come and die with the hope that some people might be saved. Jesus was not plan B. It wasn't things went wrong in the garden and the Lord had no idea what was going to happen next. I guess I need to provide a substitute. The Messiah did not come and die with hope that some people might be saved. Jesus didn't die on the cross saying, I really hope this works. The Son of God didn't come conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, live a perfect life with the hope of saving a people. The Messiah came fully knowing that he would accomplish his mission. Jesus Christ came and he has saved his people from their sins. He came to save his people, and they have been saved. All promises given by God are promises kept. Now, salvation has not yet been applied to them all, but all the Father has given to Christ his Son, they will be saved. John chapter 6, verse 37. The promise of Christmas is the promise of salvation, and the promise, Jesus Christ, is humanity's only hope. And that is what causes individuals in this world to hate us as they hated Christ. Christ did not claim to be a Savior. Christ claimed to be the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And all this, that we need to hear this. Jesus Christ alone is your only hope. Christ alone saves. Jesus plus anything else is heresy when it comes to salvation. So as a Christian, if you are a Christian in this room, if you have repented of your sins, if you put your faith, your hope, your trust in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation, do not delay as a Christian in living for him. Thank him and serve him today. Praise him for you've been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ.
And if you are in this room and you are lost, do not delay. Come to Christ. There is urgency in this. Come to Christ. His return will be like a thief in the night, and your soul needs Jesus Christ right now. You cannot clean yourself up. You cannot make yourself look pretty. You cannot come before the Lord hoping that you get in. You must have Christ to enter. The desires of this world, they do not satisfy, nor do the desires of this world atone for your numerous numerous sins. For Scripture says you were conceived in sin, meaning you were born an enemy of God with God's wrath abiding upon you. So look at it this way. God had to come to earth. He had to die. He had to rise from the dead to save sinners like you. Meaning, you are in no way, shape, or form a good person. God alone is good. That is why the scariest thing in all the Bible is that God is good. You're like, why is that scary? What does a good God do with us? Therefore, God provided a substitute that would completely and fully pay the price for sinners. Because he alone is good. That is how wicked and depraved we are. We are in no shape or form a good person. But if we have repented of our sins, put our faith and hope in Christ, in Christ alone for our salvation, God the Father no longer sees you in your sin. God the Father sees the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed to you. So come to Christ Turn from your sins. Place your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. For there is no other payment for your sin. Heavenly Father, we thank you that all of your promises are yes and amen. And we know that as your children, we are often impatient We look around and we are often wanting you to return as quickly as possible. We are wanting everything in this world to be completely renewed. We are wanting to spend forever with you in all of eternity. And yet, your word tells us that you are slow to anger. That even now, you are building your kingdom all over this world. And the enemy will not win. Father, how good you are. That salvation has come. The price has been paid. Father, I pray that we would live our life in light of the greatest truth that you have redeemed us from the pit of hell. You have reached down, you have saved your enemy and drawn him into your family. And you have charged us to go forth and to proclaim the good news that saved us so that others can be saved. Father, I pray that our life 
would be, as Blake said earlier, a pleasing aroma to you. Father, draw those who are lost in this room to you. For salvation is a work of God, it is not a work of us. Give them the faith to believe and they repent and trust in Christ, your only Son. Father, and for us who are yours, you have redeemed us because you chose us before the foundation of the world. Not that there was anything special about us, but because of your grace and your mercy and your love, you have drawn us to yourself. You have accomplished everything that we could not have done. Thank you for all that you have done. And we praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.